Today, it is August 25th, 2018 in sunny LA, California. But on the other side of the world,、uh, in China, it's actually、uh, August 26th.、Um, and the reason I bring it up is because we have a very special guest joining us today, all the way from the、uh, far southwest quarter of China on the border. Near Myanmar, and this is our returning guest,、um, very distinguished、uh, David Melia from Australia. And uh, uh, how are you, David?、Uh, I'm good, thanks. I have a.、Uh, I got jealous of all your gnarly surfing injury stories, so <laughs> I, I decided to self-inflict a nasty injury on myself just so I'd have something. Talk about well, what happened? Why don't you tell our, our audience what happened to you? Okay. Well, we'll start with this.、Um, I have one of these awesome hot water bottles, which are basically completely necessary for every everything here.、Um, I was in a hotel room in Chengdu. I pour in the hot water over the coffee.、Uh, I stupidly don't let the water cool first. Before I put the cap on, and then to add more stupidity to that, I shake the bottle、um, to mix the coffee up with the hot water.、Oh, <clears throat> of course, what happens is the screw top of the hot water bottle comes flying off, and then seven hundred and fifty mils of boiling hot coffee goes all over my right shoulder. Ah,、oh. so. Uh, basically, it hurt like hell. I had to rip my. Thankfully, I know what to do, like first aid in the case of a burn, which is a get it uncovered, get the clothing off immediately, and b you have to run it under cold water for like fifteen minutes after you do it. Once you've done those two things, then you go to hospital and get proper disinfection. Blah blah blah. I'm really surprised you were calm enough、uh, to to do all those things.、Um, in my early life,、uh, my first media appearance actually was when my brothers burned themselves extremely badly with a, a homemade chemical in a bottle experiment when I was a little kid. So, actually, I'm a bit worried. I think I might be a bit more blasé about burns than I should be. <laughs> Okay.、But、from like my brother, seriously, he was in hospital for best part of a year with third degree chemical burns over most of his body. And if we didn't have Doctor Fiona Wood in our,、uh, you know, there's a good chance he wouldn't be around today.、Um, wow. So from a well, ha- what happened to you? Let, let's talk about what happened、yes. to you recently in Chengdu.、Um, So, so you you were able to get yourself to a doctor, I hope. Well, um, to add more luck to my stupidity, directly across from the hotel we were staying in was the Chengdu Number Two People's Hospital. 
So it was literally nice. walk across the road. There's the hospital. <laughs> so I didn't, there was no travel time whatsoever. We just went across the road, went into the hospital, went up to, well, we had to like register and so on. But then we could go. Is there like an emergency room? Did you go to like, go to the emergency room? No, I went to outpatients. Oh, is there's no line? Like you just go like, well, there, was there a long wait or anything? Well, we had to wait a little bit. Um, but then um, we went up to the Burns Ward there or whatever they have. Um, and there wasn't, we got there at a good time. There wasn't, there was only one person. We only had to wait a few minutes. They got dealt with and moved on. And then I went right. in. Um, so there wasn't much of a wait. What did the doctor say when, when he saw you with your burns? The doctor was like, oh, pfft, oh just hot water. Come on. <laughs> not, not really. It's only a flesh wound. Yeah, it's only a flesh wound, man. Um, the, well, like the thing, they, they, I'm not, I'm not, like they, the doctor was very good. The nurses were extra super awesome. Like, like the hospital is in Chengdu are excellent, I must say. Um, but five minutes, you know, I was sitting there having a bit of a snivel, feeling sorry for myself. And like five minutes after I go in, I get this reek of sesame oil, okay? This reek of sesame oil. This guy comes in. Basically, what's happened to him is a big boiling thing of sesame oil has gone over both of his legs. He's deep... Oh. Fr- yeah, deep fried his legs, man. Like it was yeah. fucked up. So then I, I was like, smell? "Did it smell like?" It I don't smelled know, like it chicken. smelled like sesame oil and burning pork, dude. Ooh. It was it was bad. Like that guy's gonna be in hospital for a long time. So now is this um like a just the average hospital in Chengdu, or is it like a like a higher tier? It's the Chengdu Number Two People's Hospital. I mean, but, but is it considered to be like a one of the higher end hospital, or is it like just kind of average? Um, you know, I think it's I think it's one of the better ones. It's a people's hospital. It's not a private hospital or nothing like that. But um, the nurses and the doctors were very good, from my own assessment, anyway, dude. And, so. and how much did it cost you? All up about four, five, and this is not just including that, but including the next two days of having the the wound redressed and redisinfected and blah blah blah. All up, it cost about five hundred RMB, which is about a hundred Australian dollars. Not sure US dollars. Um, I think that's about that's a little less than a hundred US dollars. So maybe like yeah. ninety ninety dollars or something. Um, that's not that bad. Was, that was that's, uh, that's, that was paying for everything, dude. Like, I'm I'm entitled to no, like, socialized nothing in China. Like, it's either medical insurance or we pay. So, so you actually pay. You have to pay the full amount, right? 
Yeah. Um, some of them, for the return visits, though, the doctor said, here's a list of medicines, go to the pharmacy, get these specific medicines, bring them with you, because then if you have to go to the dispensary in the hospital tomorrow, it'll waste time. So we went to the pharmacy, which was also across the road, like right next to the hotel, and got like all the disinfectants and surgical scissors and blah, 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 blah. Sounds like you really lucked out. Yeah, dude. Um, no travel time. And, uh, and, and so, so, you, you, so would you say that in China, the, the Medicare is pretty, I don't know, like pretty affordable? Um, well, it's affordable for me. Uh, my salary per month is between like about six to eight thousand a month. Like eight, six to eight thousand RMB a month, you see? Right. Okay. So for me, it's affordable. I can't speak for someone who's on like 2K a month or something like that. Sure. Sure. Uh, Well, I mean, but what is it? Is uh, 2K a month, is that like pretty common in in some parts of China? Uh, Is that pretty common in at least Mangsi where you are now? Well, you, know, you work in a noodle restaurant. You work in a um, like I know I knew a lot of people who worked in places like noodle restaurants, like people from Myanmar, like particularly. You know, um, the lowest I've heard is a thousand a month, a thousand RMB wow. a month. Okay, so let's let, let's rewind a little bit. Let, let let me introduce you to our audience. So, for people who have not heard of uh, David Milia, I highly recommend you to listen to our, I think was number three episode. Um, it's called uh, Fear and Loathing in Yunnan. That's where David Milia has uh, detailed his um, previous stay in China as an English teacher at this... Um, at the... Uh, right, at, college, the, at yeah. this uh, basically a border city... Um, in southwestern China, that's on the border uh, close to Myanmar. Uh, so you you taught there for what, like three to four years? Three years, and then then at the time we talked to you last, uh, which it was episode number three. If you're interested, for have a lesson. <clears throat> That you that at that time you already returned to Australia, so now you are back in China. Can you tell us like why you why you choose to go back? <clears throat> for one thing, uh, for someone with my particular skill set, um, jobs like and I don't have a driver's license in Australia either, so uh, employment was a bit difficult. And the employment I did find, I was finding rather unsatisfactory. Um, now, the pay here by Australia standards is not that high, but it's it's good work. It was fulfilling work. You know, I felt like, you know, students from all over Yunnan, students even from Myanmar and Thailand study at the teacher's college. And it's, it's very necessary work as well. Um, this is a, I think it's a third tier educational institute. Um, however, it it provides, you know, for it's a teacher's college. So people from all over Yunnan come here to study there. And then they go to their own villages or towns or cities 
in provincial Yunnan and become teachers themselves. And for our audience, uh, for our audience, Yunnan is this uh, province of China that's on the far southwest corner. It's just a little bit below Tibet, um, and it's it borders the uh, basically borders uh, Vietnam, Laos, Myanmar. Um, it's close. Yeah, and it's close to Thailand as well, although it doesn't border it directly. So, so it's um, it's basically kind of um, kind of like the always like the frontier <laughs> of China, and, and it has a mix. Yeah, it has a mix of um, uh, uh, nationalities, and in fact, it, I think it has out of the fifty six uh, recognized uh, ethnicities in China. I think. It's either like forty or fifty are in Yunnan, and and we we talk about this in more detail on our third episode of Clash Podcast with David. Um, so now David is back. Uh, so sorry, let me let's get back to your story, David. Like you, because um, I I also heard you recently got engaged. Uh, is that another reason you are returning yeah, to China? Yeah, also that um, that uh, basically. I had made the acquaintance of another teacher um, and we got along really well. And then um, we had a holiday together at the start of the year and we got along even better. So this is the girl you met while teaching in Yunnan on your previous trip? Um, or previous we, we, met, we met through a mutual friend um, who, yeah, also is a teacher here. Um, we met through a mutual friend. We were talking. The first time we actually talked substantially was online. We talked online for a long time. We got along so well. We went, yeah, why don't we like actually meet up and see if we like each other? You know, like. Wait, wait. So while you were in China previously, she taught at the same teacher college, but back then you guys didn't really talk. But but you yeah, you guys were introduced that. later, and, yeah. and then you actually got talking once you are in yeah. Australia. Well, well, different departments, man. Like um, I'm foreign languages, and she is in a completely different department. So there's sound, like it's it's maybe ten thousand students at the at the teachers college. Um, oh wow. Uh, and there's like many, many teachers. Her department is like one of the biggest departments. There would be hundreds of teachers maybe in her department alone, you know. So um, but she's and, not yeah, a different... local there, right? She's not a local from you know Yunnan. Nah, or... She's she's from the east of China originally. She studied in Yunnan, and then she got a job at the teachers' college, where she's worked um, ever since, you know. So, so she's settled in Yunnan, basically. Like, she's, yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah her life she... now is in Mengsi. Her job, okay. So now, now, uh, well, congratulations, David, on your engagement. <laughs> and okay, so Pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy for you, sir. And uh, you, oh, you look you. like you look like you lost a lot of weight too. I mean, like I saw the yeah. pictures you've been. <laughs> Well, yeah, part of that, part of that, thanks. Uh, not really, bro. I just, like, cut out sugar, um, like, eat a little less. Mostly dietary changes, to be perfectly honest. Um, I've been going up and down. We're on the fifth floor, so 
going up and down the steps a lot, uh, walking a lot, but mostly dietary stuff like no soft drink, no sugar. Uh, my only remaining vice now basically is coffee. Um, so, oh, but but coffee is uh, Yunnan is known for producing coffee, right? Was it like any local local brand of coffee where you are, especially? Especially Dehong, the prefecture where Mangsha is. Um, I'll read from the document a little bit. Oh, can you, can you, can um, you introduce to us about this document? Because you came, you came uh, upon this document kind of by chance, right? And it's a very interesting story. Can you tell us that? Well, I've, I've come across it twice before. Part of my current job is to proofread English translations of... Chinese documents for like conferences and stuff like academic conferences, government conferences, stuff like that. Okay, that's that's a small part of my current job, but it is a part of my job. Um, so what happens is the document comes in, <clears throat> uh, it gets translated into English, so it's like ninety percent perfect at that point. But for those kind of things, like you're dealing with people who want it to be a hundred, you know, it's academics, it's like business people, government people. It has to be a hundred percent. So it's almost like a business brochure type of uh, like investment business brochure. The first time was for an academic conference. Like there was a conference of women academics who came from countries in the area um, you know, like it's basically they were doing investigation into women's economy in Dehong, right? So, like, basically, people from Laos and Myanmar and Thailand and stuff trying to work out ways to enhance women's economy in their own countries, in their own provinces. Okay, that was the first time. The second time is some kind of trade conference. Basically, they're trying to get more investments into Dehong, okay? So that's that's when I got my hands on this this document. It's basically a lot of um, information about Dehong. Um, like, you know, where what, what it's called, where it is, distances from places, population, um, ethnographic information, climate information, and then like a bunch of trade information as well. Um, this is the first time this information has only been in Chinese. Like it's it's the most up to date information about Derhong. Um, I do have permission to use it for this purpose, so we're not like doing anything dodgy or anything. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear about uh, um, what you want to read about. Well, um, it might it might help. It's only two pages. I think it might be useful if we, I just read okay. it out. Okay. And then if there's any if there's any questions that come to your mind, yeah, go ahead. Like I think just as, as a biographical introduction to Dehong, which is where Mangsha right. Then this is okay? where you are. This is the this is a prefecture that's uh, on the border of uh, basically Myanmar, right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. The docu- I'll, I'll, okay, go it ahead. all goes into it. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll just read it out first. Okay. Dehong, Dai, and Jingpua Autonomous Prefecture is situated in the southwest part of China. Mengshu, the capital of Dehong Prefecture, 
is 649 kilometres from Kunming by land and 427 kilometres by air. The prefecture is 11,526 square kilometres in area and has a population of 1.3 million. The main cities are Mengxue, Ruili, the border city with Myanmar, Lianghe, and Longchuan. De Hong is one of 30 ethnic minority autonomous prefectures Okay, I'm going to interrupt you a little bit, uh, David, because you mentioned the city of Ruili. <clears throat> and Ruili is, uh, has a reputation, right? It has a reputation for being this kind of wild, wild west border town in China <laughs> where... Um, kind of everything goes right, like gambling, prostitution, drug smuggling. Uh, uh, but I, I, this might be before. This might be. Before. I'm, I'm talking about like the the impression at least few years back, right? And 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 I also find out that you actually recently took a trip to the border to Rayleigh. So after you read this, you know, I'll, I'll let yeah, you finish man. reading the document. But after you read the document, I want to probe you a little bit more about your trips to Rayleigh and how it um, how it really is you know compared to the public perception how it is now okay yeah, go man. go ahead go ahead go back okay. to the document okay. i'm sorry that's for sure okay okay and one of the eight ethnic minority autonomous prefectures in yunnan there are five ethnic minority peoples living in Dehong prefecture dai people jingpua people deang people Achang people and Lisu people, who each have a long history and a rich traditional culture. The population of ethnic minority peoples accounts for 47.8% of the total population of Dehong. With an average height of 800 to 1300 metres above sea level, mean temperature of 18.4 to 20.3 degrees Celsius, annual rainfall of 1,436 to 1,709 millimetres, annual sunshine duration of 2,281 to 2,453 hours, and forest coverage rate of 68.78%. Derhong, typical of the South Asian tropical monsoon climate, is an ideal place for the development of biological industry. It is known as the plant kingdom and the species gene pool and has rich resources and diverse species. Derhong is also an important production base of Chinese Arab- Arabica coffee, lemons, nuts, rubber, aromatic tobacco and high quality rice. It is a significant grain supply area in Yunnan. In order to promote development of border trade, there are two state-level first-grade ports in Roili and Wanding. The Roili National Key Experimental Zones for Development and Opening Up and the Border Comprehensive Financial Reform Pilot Zone have been successively established in Derhong. Derhong has been given a series of preferential policies and supporting policies related to finance, taxation, land, and industrial development. Jiagao border trade zone is the only place 
implementing the special custom supervision policy in China. De Hong is the port of entry for the Sino-Myanmar oil and gas pipeline, an important national port of the Belt and Road, the key node into South Asia and Southeast Asia, and the gateway hub of the China-Myanmar economic corridor. De Hong Prefecture shares a borderline of 503.8 kilometres with Myanmar. It is the only China-Myanmar border area in Yunnan that connects to regions under the administration of the Myanmar government. It has one airport in Mengxia, two state-level first-grade ports in Roili and Wanding, and two provincial-level second-grade ports. Okay, this is very important. I'm going to interrupt you for one second uh, because for our audience, right, we're trying to, like, start with basics here. Uh, You mentioned a very important fact that Reili is the only part of Yunnan that touches with area that's directly controlled by the Myanmar government, right? So China actually shares a fairly long border with Myanmar. Is, you know, in Yunnan, you know, the whole half of the Yunnan basically borders Myanmar. But but the northern Myanmar um, basically has not been under the control of uh, Myanmar government ever since uh, since independence, basically, since the British left. Um, yeah. Because that, that's always like kind of the border zone. Um, yeah. Kind of between the empires, because the you know the uh, after the British uh, c- conquered the you know basically the Burmese Empire, it it, it pushed north where it ran into the Chinese Qing Empire in Yunnan, and the the, the border area in northern Myanmar that that's that area yeah. has always been kind of like semi independent. Uh, Ruled by like semi-independent kingdoms and 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 by local rulers, they yeah, will yeah, either yeah. pledge their allegiance either to the Chi- you know the Chinese Empire or the Burmese Empire, depending on you know which way the wind blows, right? <laughs> and then and then uh, when the British came, they kind of uh, you know gained some kind of nominal control over that that area. But <clears throat> uh, when the British left. You know the that the you know the the Myanmar central government has has always been trying to uh, extend its uh, basically control direct control over that region and with you know various level of success or failure <laughs> because right now northern Myanmar exists a very still a very active state of insurgency basically there are many like. Yeah, many different uh, ethnic groups fighting for uh, yeah, independence yeah. or, or autonomy, and they have their own military. They control like wide swath of area. So, um, so, 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 so the 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 control of Myanmar central government is actually very tenuous. But but it, it did manage to establish like couple bridgehead, right? And then one of the bridgehead oh, yeah. it did manage to establish is. Just directly opposite of Rei Li uh, of Yunnan, and that's what the this document is talking about. It's talking about the Rei Li being the only port that basically connects China with Myanmar central government controlled area. <laughs> Just a little background. Yeah, man. Well, that's 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 Jia Gao. Um, like you know where I took those pictures. 
that that is the Giagao border trade zone. Yes, yes. I, I do want to talk about your okay, trip okay. down to Rayleigh, but let's finish the document okay, and we'll, we'll continue. Um, two provincial level second grade ports in Zhangfeng and Yingzhang. Less than 1,000 kilometers to the south are Myanmar's Rangoon port, Sitway port, and Chittagong by land water transport channels. That, that is rivers, basically. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Roili Mujie is the closest opening up area and the busiest trading area on the okay, China I'm going to stop you for a second again. So it's talking about like a land corridor that connects uh, China through Roili, uh through the Myanmar government control area, basically all the way down to um, uh, down to basically Indian Ocean um, on the on the uh, seaweed, if I'm not mistaken, that's in the Rakhine State, right? Um, I'd have to I'd have to look at a map, dude. <laughs> I think I think if I remember correctly, that's near the Rakhine State, and that's actually where um, right now there's a Myanmar is <clears throat> engaged um, in a big conflict with a local. Uh, Rohingya population. Well, it's of it's basic. State. It's basically it's basically the local people are being dispossessed, or like it it verges on ethnic cleansing. It really like it's right, a bad right. situation. Right. Um, so I mean, I'm just bringing all yeah. these uh, points to give people a reference because I'm sure a lot of our audience have heard about Rohingya, but they might not know about you know, Rakhine State or Siwi Port. I'm just like helping people getting situated. So what China is trying to do, it's uh, it's trying to uh, <clears throat> basically have a, uh, like a door to the Indian Ocean through Myanmar because uh, the Southwest China is landlocked. You know, it's uh, thousands of miles to the Chinese coast. So what, what China is trying to do is construct um, a, a corridor through Myanmar, where it can import uh, energy, we're talking about oil and gas. Uh, there's already an oil and gas pipeline that was constructed from um, from the port of Siwi uh, near yeah. uh, in Rakhine State all the way to Yunnan. Uh, that well, has Duh, been Duhong is the port of entry, right? For that, like like we said just now, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is actually part of the grand. Uh, the Chinese grand project of uh, Belt and Road or the new Silk Road project where, you know, China is trying to build connectivity throughout Eurasia, you know, build a land and sea bridge to Europe. And so this is all part of it. So this is actually very important. Uh, I'm trying, trying to, like, give people a little reference. Okay, sorry, sorry again for my interruption. <laughs> Please go on. No, 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 no. No, the 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 you've you've got that perspective. Like I haven't really kept up with that perspective of all of this. Um, I can you know like I'm I'm good for stuff that's happening here, but it's it's part of a bigger picture. So I think that's very important. You know, without that perspective, a document like this really isn't that. Sure, useful. sure. Well, but but let's get back to the document. <laughs> let's okay. Um, the import and export trade of Mujie Port to China has increased continually, accounting for about 50% of the total Myanmar land trade and 75% of the border trade in Myanmar in recent years. The Ruili Mujie area has also become 
the largest cargo distribution center between China and Myanmar. And that's the document. That, that is a fantastic document because I learned something new today, right? I, I always knew about... We can, we can provide it for our readers as like reading for this. Oh, yeah, episode. that would be great. That would be great. Um, Clash, Clash exclusive. No one else has this outside in English language. We're the first one. Do they have a, do they have like an online version of this document somewhere where we can link to? Uh, well, I've got the document here because I'm the one who proofread it into its current. I'm the one who proofread it into the current form. Yeah, man. Are, is this document like kosher for distribution? Yeah, I, I, I did ask. I did ask about that. And I said, look, this is what I intend to use it for. And I was told that's fine, you know, because it's, it's basically okay, perfect. Um, there's a lot more, there's a lot more stuff in the original document, which is basically, this is, um, this is what we're doing to develop, um, Der Hong. This is how we want to develop Der Hong. Yeah. It's, it's a grand plan, right? So let's, uh, let's upload this document maybe to a Google drive somewhere and we'll provide a link on our Patreon page. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I did, to... I did send it to you. Um, you know, the one oh. notes for Carl and Nate, remember? <laughs> okay okay I'll, I'll look it up we'll, we'll provide a link we'll provide a we'll provide a link uh uh for our our um listeners on our patreon page and and th- what this document I, you know, I did not even realize how important uh the region where you are is because i mean conceptually i understand china was trying to build a corridor through myanmar to the indian ocean but and i somehow it didn't click with me that it is through ray lee which is the home pre- pre- prefecture, which is where you are, right? So yeah, even man. though I, I always introduce you as a as a brave soul who went to the far remote corner of China, but this is also a very important node on the Chinese uh, new Silk Road project because that's oh, yeah that's it's a it's southwest uh, basically connection to the wider uh, world to the to the Southeast Asia and beyond. And, and, you know, like all the energy and the not, not one reason China is doing this, right, is spending all these uh, money is because uh, currently a major, huge majority of Chinese import um, of oil and energy come through uh, Middle East and Africa, right? So yeah. they to, to have this oil shipped to China, they are... Go, uh, go, they're going by the oil tankers that travel through the Straits of Malacca, which is uh, this narrow strait between uh, India, uh, Indonesian island of Sumatra and, uh, and, uh, and Malaysia, the Ma- Malaysian peninsula, uh, down to like Singapore, right? Like at the, uh, Singapore is where uh, Strait of Malacca became the narrowest, basically. And, and, and U.S. Navy has always known that's like the choke point. <laughs> if ever a conflict breaks out with China, that will be the choke point to choke off the Chinese energy supply. Yeah. And that's another reason, you know, U.S. is holding all these kind of exor- military exercises in South China Sea under the pretense of so-called um, uh, uh, freedom of navigation patrol, right? Because U.S. always claim uh, we're there to protect the sea lane for for international commerce. But one of the things they don't really tell you is 
80% of the traffic that's going through South China Sea is going to and from China. So basically, the U.S. Navy is claiming they're protecting the 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 the, com, the the vital commercial sea lanes to China from China. <laughs> Basically, that's what they're they're claiming. Uh, but but they don't tell you that. They only tell you that's an important part of international waterway. It's very important part. It must be remain free. But they don't tell you that most of the traffic is actually going to China. And U.S. is making a show of force in South China Sea, basically telling China, look, you know, we can we can fuck you up. <laughs> we can we can seriously like threaten your supply lines. And and China also realized that. And, and that's that's the whole reason behind the Chinese new Silk Road project is to build this different alternative uh, supply routes, you know, through Central Asia, through Russia, um, through Pakistan, and, and also through Myanmar. So Myanmar, this is a very important part of the, 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 the Chinese strategic uh, planning, uh, because the idea is that the, the oil tankers now, they will just come from uh, Persian Gulf and unload the oil directly at uh, the seaweed port uh, at Rakhine State in Myanmar. Uh, uh, I think that's the Gulf of Bengal. And then they will, um, then the oil and gas will be shipped through the pipelines up through Myanmar all the way north to, to Yunnan, you know, through the Rayleigh port, like, like you talk about. And that, that feeds into like the Chinese energy needs in its uh, inland region in the southwest. So this is a very important part of, um, you know, this is a very important part of the Chinese new, so very ambitious new Silk Road project that's kind of trying to break out the U.S. In, uh, encirclement and containment of China. <laughs> well, sorry, sorry uh, David, you were going to say something. I, I kind of interrupted you. Um, no, it's okay. Um, the really funny thing about all of this is that Dehong is a vector for all this oil, all this gas. 80% of Dehong's power supply comes from hydroelectricity or geothermal, like 80% plus. So the oil and gas isn't really getting used here. Right, you know, right. Like, That's right, because... Because Yunnan has a very special geography that it's kind of yeah, the, on the, the the spur of the Himalayan mountain range, you know, where all the yeah. kind of the, the river just all the river flowing out of the Tibetan plateau kind of rush through down deep gorges into Yunnan where like the elevation drops sharply. And, and so it has a huge tons of uh, hydroelectric potential, which is China has been in recent years uh, harnessing through building of dams and, 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 and such. And, and, and so, so China has plenty of hydroelectric uh, of, uh, power. But so, so those pipelines are not meant just for Yunnan. It's actually meant for like, um, like other parts of China, like Sichuan, for example, right, which is even more populous than than Yunnan is like Sichuan has a has like a hundred million population. Well, together with Chongqing municipality of Chongqing, there there's like hundred million people just north of uh, Yunnan. So there's a lot of people with energy needs. Yeah, and that's and that's another thing I didn't understand. You mentioned Chongqing. I only learned recently Chongqing is under directly under the central government. It's not like a municipality of 
um, Sichuan or anything. It's directly, it's, it's one of those special trade cities, which is directly under the central government. And as such, Chongqing is yes. not even the capital. Chengdu is the capital, but Chongqing is well, way yes. more powerful, way more um, like influential because it's directly under the central government. Yes, because um, <clears throat> for the longest time, when I grew up in China in the 80s. Yeah. Back then, Chongqing was still part of the Sichuan province, right? And there, you know, in Sichuan province, there's always some kind of rivalry between the two biggest cities, that's Chongqing and Chengdu, because, you know, because um, the people in Chongqing always felt like it was unfair that uh, all the resources of the, the, the Sichuan province get concentrated at Chengdu, when yeah. Chongjin is the biggest industrial city in Sichuan, right? And yeah. and uh, because uh, the, the rivalry actually goes way back because uh, in the ancient times, I'm talking about before the first emperor of China unified <laughs> unified China. Wow. There was a there was two ancient kingdoms in the in the area. So there's a the the kingdom of Su with its capital in Chengdu and the kingdom of Ba with its capital in Chongqing. So, so the, the rivalry is very ancient. But what happened after the kingdom of Qing in its process of unifying China, it invaded from north and, and conquered the Sichuan Basin. It conquered both the kingdom of Su and Ba. But after that, it combined these two kingdoms into one administrative unit of Sichuan. And that it kind of remained that way until very until like basically in the 90s uh but yeah. Chongqing always was a little bit special because it sits at the juncture between the Yangtze River and the Jialing River conjunction of Yangtze River and Jialing River and in the old wow. times that's the only way to get out of Sichuan get in or out of Sichuan is through the Yangtze River so being a poor city Chongqing was very vital uh, trade link and 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 it was uh it was like always like very important because uh, in during the during Mongol invasion, right? Like the the Mongol army was able to conquer Chengdu and rest of the Sichuan Basin very uh, pretty pretty easily, but they couldn't take Chongqing because Chongqing is built on a hill. <laughs> it's very hilly, yeah. and and the, at that time the Song Dynasty built a series of fortifications in uh, Chongqing using the, the hilly terrains and and basically Chongqing hauled off the Mongol hordes for 50 years. <laughs> it, 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 like the, the yeah the, the the Mongol army were never able to take Chongqing. Even the the great Khan uh, Mangke, who is a grandson yeah. of uh, Genghis, Chengiz and who is an older brother yeah. of the later the great Kublai Khan. Um, he led personally led a force, the, the, a large Mongol host trying to capture Chongqing, but he he died uh, outside the city wall of uh, Diaoyu Castle, which is in Chongqing, and it was, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's quite oh, yeah. famous because he was uh, he was one of the major commander uh, in the in the Mongol expedition to Europe. You know they you know he followed. Um, uh, he led his forces all the way to, you know, Poland and and Russia and Czech, Czech uh, you know, all those land. But when when it was his turn to become the great Khan, and when he led his army, 
he was stopped at Chongqing and 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 he died outside the city walls of Chongqing. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's uh, stories about how he died. The official uh, Mongol Yuan Dynasty sources claim that he died of disease, but the Chinese there's some Chinese sources that he died of arrow wound or the uh, cannon shot. But anyway, that the or or he could <laughs> just died from mosquito. You know, like maybe the the the. Uh, Malaria, yeah, malaria got malaria. him. Because malaria is have been a serious issue in in actually where you are too, right? For a long time in Yunnan, uh, until until the fifties, sixties, yeah, um, malaria was endemic here, and my understanding is that that was part of it. That some this is a story I've heard a few different times that some biologist working for Chairman Mao said, hey, the climate there is perfect for certain types of agriculture, like banana growing, so on and so forth. What we have to do is we have to drain out because it's like it was really swampy land. We just like drain out a lot of the swamp land, turn it into um, like tropical agriculture so lots of fruit growing lots of rice this is the home prefecture in yunnan you're talking about right yeah, where you yeah, are yeah, yeah um and so and that will have the added bonus effect of getting rid of a lot of these tropical diseases as well <laughs> because the mosquitoes no longer have a place to breed and like infect people and that works right that would work, right? Well, also, also generations of people like your parents coming here and establishing like advanced medical care and all those kind of things as well. You know, like you can't, you can't. Oh, right. Like you, yeah, because China did develop um, like an anti-malarial medicine on its own independently uh, during Vietnam War because. Yeah. Um, because there was a, because uh, for for longest time the only effective cure for malaria, malaria was made from um, like this uh, quinine, right? This quinine. This quinine, which is extracted from a tree bark that originally grew in South America, and then yeah. that then you know Europeans and Dutch I think brought the tree to uh, in Indonesia, so so like. It was more widespread, but still, that the source is outside of China. And during yeah. during 1949, when um, Chairman Mao's Communist Party took over China, U.S. placed a blanket blockade on China, so all none of the medicine can go through. So and both antibiotics and the anti-malarial medicine can't get through to China. And and during the Vietnam War, uh, because the Ho Chi Minh, uh, you know, a lot of the Viet uh, Viet, uh, Vietnamese North Vietnamese forces they are traveling through the Ho Chi Minh Trail through very dense jungles to to South Vietnam to fight the Americans and and many of them come down with malaria and and um, you know the Vietnamese government actually reached out to China which was a vital ally back then for help and yeah. and so Chairman Mao ordered the secret project to research. Uh, like an alternative cure for malaria that does not uh, depend on quine, what, quinine? Quinine. Yeah. And yeah. so what they did was they, um, 
they went through all the previous uh, Chinese medicine history, uh, Chinese medicine books, you know, from tr- traditional Chinese medicine. They searched all the references about possible cure of malaria, and they gather all these ingredients that were described, and they just tested everything. <laughs> they, they just you know, basically did lab tests on all the possible ingredients that was mentioned in ancient Chinese texts, and, and through like many trials and errors, and finally, they found the one plant that does has this uh, property, and they were able to extract it. Uh, and, and I believe the Chinese doctor who who uh, led the team to discover that cure, he, she was award, awarded um, awarded the Nobel Prize recently, a couple of years ago, I think, for that exact contribution. Really? Yeah, yeah, she was the first Chinese. Uh, scientists basically awarded Nobel Prize in science, um, and and it was uh, it was a big deal. Awesome, yeah, yeah, man, totally big, big, big deal. Like today, that 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 medicine, um, uh, I, I'm trying to. I it has this name I can't pronounce, uh, <laughs> but but this uh, anti-malarial medicine uh, was is been used by Chinese medical teams in Africa, right? Because it, um, one of the thing, uh, with malaria, malaria is that a lot of the, uh, you know, in Africa, a lot of the malaria strain has developed resistance to the traditional anti-malarial medicine that's based on quinine. And, uh, and so now they are applying this, uh, Chinese cure. Ah, okay. Um, the, 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 the medicine in English is called Artemisinin. Yes, yes, I can't pronounce that. <laughs> no way I can pronounce that. Artemisinin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For discovery of uh, Artemisinin, the, the, the Chinese doctor who, who led the team to the discovery was awarded a um, uh, Nobel Prize several years uh, back. And, and, and now the Chinese medical teams are, you know, um, kind of uh, – they're, they recently did a, um, a big effort to try to eradicate malaria in uh, Madagascar and and uh, some of the coastal eastern East African uh, countries using this medicine to to great success. Of course, there is controversy because they said, "Oh, they uh, they just you know they just kind of apply uh, directly apply the." The, the medicine to everybody without I don't know sufficient testing or something. And there, there was some controversy, yeah, it's, but it's the, but but the, but the, the it says it has it has a slightly different drug action to other um, anti malaria drugs. It um, acts primarily on the trophozyte phase, thus pre- preventing progression of disease. Yeah. And then there's and then there's derivatives of that which are easier to use and work better in the body. Exactly, exactly. Because artemisinin, it's, it's just a Chinese herb, Ching Hao Su, I don't know how to say this, Ching Hao Su, I think, yeah, maybe. Ching Hao Su. And this, yeah, man. This, so this is one of the major discovery came out of the Vietnam War. It's from the secret Chinese military project to develop uh, anti-malarial medicine for the North Vietnamese forces who were traveling through uh, Ho Chi Minh Trail. That's how it came about. Uh, so at least, at least something good came out of that war. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, um, another drug that got provided, you know, Yunnan Bayao. Yes. The anti, anti, it's an anti-bleeding drug, basically. Um, 
that was another one, you know, traditional Chinese medicine, but um, that got provided to Vietnam in huge, huge quantities. And even today, like if you go to the doctor with bleeding or like a burn, you know, stuff like that, Yunnan Biao is one. Yeah, no, it works. It works a charm, man. I've had to use it many a time. It works a charm, believe me. <laughs> I remember, yeah, I remember when I was in China. That's what we use. It's it is it, it's, it's just yeah, magical. basically. Um, and that's the thing. And, and 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 basically, the whole of Yunnan was known in China for like have all different kind of plants that were used for ingredients in traditional Chinese medicine. Like Yunnan is known kind of like the kind of like the botany uh, garden of, yeah. uh, <laughs> of all kind of, of yeah. precious the herbs. The plant kingdom and the species gene pool. Well, like the origin of tea is in Yunnan. Like the, the, the yeah. way that Yunnan, yeah. the way that tea got into China was from tributary offerings from Yunnan, from the people who lived here, in fact. Yeah. Um, like... Here, yeah. uh, Pua, uh, Shishuang Bana, like this is like the native area of tea is in, U- yep. in southern Yunnan. So, yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> I can see why, from a lot, even though Yunnan was such a long way away, and traditionally people have regarded Yunnan as being like this scary place with scary people, you know, like all these tribes and stuff, but. Yeah, like, like a barbaric frontier. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, at least in the past, like the people here now, you know, like there's much more understanding and there's so many like hardworking ethnographers, anthro- anthropologists, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, but yeah, no, in, in the past, like China, yeah, like the wild, the wild west, pretty much, yeah. Okay, so this will be a good point point for us to talk about your recent trip to the actual myanmar border at ray lee yeah man (laughs) that was that was that was jiagao that was the jiagao border trade zone you know the big gates and like on the other side you can see myanmar so may i ask you why what made you go down there well, um, I lived in um, – previously, I lived in Derhong for three and a half years. First visit was half a year. Working at the college was three years. I've never been to Roy Lee. I had lots of students from Roy Lee. I, um, one of my best friends here is from Roy Lee. Like, she's an ethnographer. Like, she's from Roy Lee. But I never went. And it's only, like – well, now it used to be like three hours away, but now like with the new expressway, it's more like an hour, you know. Never been. And I'm on holidays right now from work. I go back to work in like a week or so. So I thought, um, why why don't we go down there? You know, that's also why I went to Wanding as well for the war museum and stuff. But So it's just like, I've never been. I should go. Like I've heard so much about Roy Lee from my friends, from my students. So yeah, let's let's go Roy Lee for a few days, you know. Um, and that's that's that was yeah. my reason, just like curiosity. I've never been. Okay, so but Roy really Lee had a reputation, right? At least from what I remember, at least like ten years back, well, it has a reputation of being this place that's kind of wild. It's like a total crazy. Anything goes border town. There's a lot of 
drugs, prostitution, all kind of smuggling, you know, jade, um, every, women, <laughs> everything coming from Myanmar. Um, like, I, I'm sure it's very different now. I, and I just wanted to find out what was your impression when you got down there and how was it different? Well, um, one, one, one area it's different is that De Hong is Dian Jingpo Autonomous Prefecture, right? However, the balance in in Mengxia is much more towards Dai people. Like, there's more Dai people, they're more powerful, uh, blah, 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 blah. However, in Rui Li, um, the balance is much more towards the Jingpo side of the Dai and Jingpo dichotomy, right? That's one big difference, okay? So the Jingpo people for our audience, again, our English-speaking audience, uh, I think that in, in they are um, my uh, uh, is there an ethnic group that's kind of spread uh, living along the border of Myanmar and China and parts of uh, northeast yeah. India and they um, they also have a known by a different name in Myanmar right they were known as a Kachin Kachin right? people from the like there's a yeah. Kachin this is, state in Myanmar yeah. and this is one thing I like want to mention right now. This is something really. This is something that struck me that in Myanmar, the official names are Shan for the Dai, and Kachin for the Jingpo, but the names that they use themselves in their own languages are Dai and Jingpo, and those are the names that are used in China. Which, which, like, I, I don't know why that was so surprising to me. Obviously, but. That that makes sense, but uh, you know, yeah. I think there was a period when uh, People's Republic uh, was first established. Uh, yeah, at least there yeah, was yeah. an attempt to try to um, like um, uh, give more autonomy to the local uh, yeah. different ethnic groups and, and to have them manage their affair, including like including the names. Because, for example. Um, before before people's establishment of people's republic especially under the qin dynasty or the qin empire and and even continue under the the republic of china there were a lot of derogative names for minorities especially oh, yeah, and well, like for example a uh, lot of the minority names would be written in chinese character with a with a dog radical right yeah, with some yeah, kind of animal Animal radical. That was that was the um, radical for the Hui people. Was um, the radical had the meaning of dog, and then in the nineteen fifties they said we're not doing that anymore. That's bullshit. <laughs> we're going to change yeah. the radical used for Hui people so it's no longer innately insulting. Basically, right. I mean, I mean, another another uh, uh, another thing for our general audience. Hui is what. In the old times, uh, basically how Chinese referred to Muslims. So, so the Chinese word for Muslim is Hui. Chinese, Chinese, Chinese no, well, Muslims. Well, well so, specifically, it was for all Muslims. At one point, okay. uh, the Hui was the name for just for Muslims, and and so even even say the Turkic Muslim of Xinjiang would be known as Hui back then, uh, and and, okay. and the, the the character that used to describe, um, but. In, even in official documents, right, they will have a dog radical, and then the character Hui, which is Muslim, which is like you know, like a dog radical plus a word for Muslim, right? So it's 
totally disrespectful, yeah. disrespectful, right? And that that was changed oh, under yeah. PRC when the People's Republic uh, was established. That was that was thrown out. Another uh, another yeah. example is the Zhuang people uh, in Guangxi, which is um, which is another like a very ah. they're very closely related to the the Dai, right? They're they're all Thai speaking speakers, so. For the Zhuang people, they use the the character that used to um, used to describe them was a dog radical plus uh, plus a, plus a character for 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 a child <laughs> for for a kid and and so after, after, also after yeah. People's Republic was established, they decided to ban the use of that word and they use a different. <laughs> they, they use a different word. They use strong, which is which, which in in Chinese means strong. They use a word, yeah, strong yeah, to yeah, describe yeah. to to for this uh, ethnicity. Um, so so yeah, there was a lot of that. So I, I think it, it's it ties back to the early uh, days of PRC and its ethnic policy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So two, there's 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 quite a few Burmese people here. There's even a number of um, Rohingya uh, refugees here, which is funny considering how far away Rakhine State is. However, there's way way more obviously Burmese people. In Roily, right? So, um, like Jiagao, uh, like entry and exit is very easy. If you if you overstay, you're probably going to get you, you. Like, I mean, does a Burmese people kind of stand out from the locals? Like, can you tell physically if they're say like a? a uh, well, um, it's, it's well, like, um, so say say you've got die people, you can tell the difference between die people from this side and die people from Myanmar. Like the fashions are quite different, you know. Ah. Like people from Myanmar, people from Myanmar wear long, you know, you know what a long year is, right? Uh, it's kind of like a a long year is yeah. like the Burmese Burmese cloth that's worn around the waist. So it's kind of like a um. I guess like a kilt. It's almost like a skirt, right? It's, yeah. it's like a yeah, a kilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's my word. <laughs> um, yeah, but like a like for men, right? But for men. Yeah, yeah. Or for everyone, really. Well, not really. Just for men, mostly. Yeah. Um, um, the Burmese people, like the fashions, are quite different. Like that's the main way. Um, maybe a little bit um, like darker skinned, like. But then that that more has to do with people who are coming from Myanmar, like might spend more time under the sun doing hard like agricultural labor, you know. So you can't you can't look at people and go, oh well, their physio their their physical attributes are completely different, blah blah blah. You kind of have to oh that um people from Myanmar are much more fond of wearing thunaka, which is that tree that tree bark powder stuff that's worn on the cheeks and forehead oh so that's what it was i i i see those pictures where it's kind of like a what what's like a yellow yellow yeah. kind of color the, the yeah yellowish white yeah, I, yeah I thought, different I, colors you know like really yellow uh, it's white. like people use a sunblock right to put on their face to keep their to keep the sun off to keep their skin cool there's even some brands which are like a bit skin lightening, you know. What? Which you know, like whatever. <laughs> That's the first time I heard that. That's Man, hilarious. It's, 
but they, not all of them. Like the basic thing is a tree bark stuff that's used to keep the sun off your skin and keep your skin cool. It's called Thunaka. Okay. Okay. So let's get back to your trip to Ray Lee. So what have you found? A lot of the um, there's like there is gambling. Like like I say, like if you want to gamble, basically you'll go across the border to the Myanmar side, and there's there's lots of like it's not illegal gambling. It's legal gambling, but it's run like it's illegal. Get ga- so people get the thrill of going across to these seedy gambling dens where they might win their fortune or whatever. And like uh, that's that's mo- that's all on the. So this is on the Myanmar side, right? The Myanmar side of the yeah, border. Yeah, but going across there is easy as hell, you know. Like, there's no trouble. Even um, we were coming back from the Jade Market, and I saw a bunch of fireworks going off, and I asked, um, "What's with the fireworks? Is that like a regular thing here? Are they just letting off fireworks?" And I was told, "No, no, that's from the the gambling dens on the Myanmar side." That when when someone wins big, they'll set off fireworks to celebrate and to like show off. Yeah, another winner! Like so, there's there's all that kind of stuff on the on the Myanmar side. Um, the 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 night market, the Jade Night Market was pretty. There's all kinds of people like from all over China, all over Myanmar there. Um, so I to cross told, the border and back, I mean, do they don't need oh, I visas. went across for about 10 minutes, man. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but like um, for people, normal people, do they need visas? Do they need kind of a doc? Or do they just need to show their passport and cross like a U.S. Uh, me- like Mexico? a register type thing? Yeah. Um, you know, like either you get a work visa or something like that or you – Die, part of it being an autonomous prefecture is Dai and Jingpo people from both sides of the border have freer rights to cross and work on both sides of the border. Like that's that's part of the that's part of the phrase it this way. Let me phrase it this way: Is it as easy for the Chinese citizen to cross into the uh, to cross into Myanmar as it is for the? for the Myanmar people to cross into China. Um, it seems so. Um, like you, you'll get like, you'll get like, I think you'll get like a day or a few days and you can go across and do what you want within certain limits. But then you've got to go back into, um, into your country of origin, you know? So it seems pretty easy from both sides. So it sounds like the, the border is pretty lax, pretty relaxed, right? You just kind of just... It's go across with no, not much. Uh, you'll have to go through a lot of it paperwork. It seems that way at first, or... man. But like you try overstaying, you know. <laughs> uh, it, you try overstaying, and then you'll find out it's not. But yeah, no, like it is. It is more relaxed than a normal border, definitely. Yeah. Um. So a lot of the a lot of the illegal stuff or the stuff that used to be illegal but now it's legal seems to be on the other side of the border, in on the China side that's the, the jade trade man like, uh, like uh, we went to the big night market for jade, uh, there's people from all over China and Myanmar there like all around. Okay, so let me do another info bubble for our audience. Jade is super important in Chinese culture because, you know, the Chinese believe jade has some kind of special magical property, right? Because it's somehow 
um, when you, you, you keep jade, wear, wear like a jade close to your body, you kind of like retain your body heat. Um, they, they believe you kind of capture some some kind of essence. Um, so anyway, so jade-, jade retains heat very well. Like it actually is like a pretty good heat sink, you know. It does keep you cool. Yeah, so that's – so anyway, the jade culturally is very important in Chinese culture um, to have jade. And I remember um, investor Jim Rogers, when he traveled through China in the 80s, he made a remark. He said, like, yeah, it's good to invest in jade because the Chinese are going to get wealthy. And once they you know, become wealthy, the price of jade is going to go up. And he is absolutely right because oh, – yeah, you know. As the Chinese, uh, you know, economy take off and Chinese become wealthier, the demand for jade just skyrocketed. And and the thing with jade is that there's not much jade actually inside China. The, uh, the you know, the, my the, impression the, the, is all gone. Yeah, the the the, the, the there are a couple famous source. I mean, even historically, there are two important uh, source for jade for China. One is in Xinjiang, is in uh, the famous Khotan jade. Uh, it's from the Taran Basin, uh, the area of um, of Xinjiang uh, called Khotan, and and the the, the you know the, the Taran River over there they wash out some of these uh, jade from the Kunlun Mountains, and so the, the the jade you know from 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 Xinjiang is famous for like white jade uh, because they're they're white. Yeah, and, yeah. And, Mustn fat, mustn fat jade. That pure white jade is the most valuable of all. Like I've seen very small pieces of mutton fat jade worked into Buddhas and stuff, going for like hundreds of thousands of our. That's the, the most valuable jade of all. It's yeah. the white mutton fat jade. It's pure white. Yeah, and in fact, um, you know, and it's almost. In fact, you know, a lot of the uh, many of the Uyghur that got uh, wealthy, um, you know, is by becoming jade merchants. You know, they got into the jade trade. Early, yeah, yeah. Um, and they they start start basically exporting jade from Xinjiang directly to the Chinese heartland, and they were able to you know establish themselves and make a killing. Uh, and the you know and then but there, then there's another source of jade that's from Myanmar and the, the Myanmar jade is different from the, yeah. the Xinjiang jade in that it's not white it's green right and it's known to be yeah, yeah nephrite yeah, yeah and and the you know the Myanmar jade supposedly they have their own properties I you know I'm not I'm not too connected with a uh, with a jade culture, so I, I just know that <laughs> okay, jade either comes from Xinjiang or Myanmar. So Myanmar has always been a very important source of jade for Chinese consumers, and 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 right now and also oh, yeah. right now with oh. with north northern Myanmar is kind of. Uh, has been basically like an unstable situation since uh, Myanmar's independence from, from Britain. So there's a lot of uh, smuggling, right? There's a lot of smuggling. We're going to save the rest of it for our premium subscribers, which I'm going to take this opportunity to thank. Thank you guys for subscribing. We're uh, really loving the support. Really, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And if you want to find us on Facebook, I'm under Nate Myers and Carl is under Carl Zah.
pretty straightforward. Our Patreon link will be in the show notes, or you can search in Google for my for my entire name. That's Carl. Start with a C. C A R L. Last name Z H A. Z as in zebra. H as in Henry. A as in apple. Again, Patreon is the only place where we host our premium episodes for our subscribers, and I do hope you subscribe.、Uh, also, if you go to the Patreon page, just search Carl Zah, and it's the first result. Tell your friends. Oh, please, and your families. Yeah, and your family. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah.、Uh, until next time, see you guys later. I hope all of you guys have enjoyed the show, and until next time, bye bye.